Morning. Thanks for joining us online. If you're online, welcome. We're so glad you're here too, as well as in person. Uh, my name is Ross. I'm one of the pastors here and super excited to be journeying through our series together called Roadblocks to the Resurrection. And here in a moment, we're going to dive into that. But first, before we do that, I wanted to just kind of share some of where the Lord's leading us in this next season with Easter. And as you know, Easter is right around the corner. So, so you look on your calendar, it's we, every weekend we come, it's like it's almost here. And you know, on Easter weekend, we celebrate big because Jesus did a mighty big work for us. And we want to celebrate His death and resurrection, and most importantly, the resurrection that points us to new life in Him, and that we can believe and confess. We can know God through Christ. We can know Him, have a relationship with Him. So, typically in Easter's past, we've actually asked that you reserve some seats, uh, but this year we're not going to ask you to do that. Um, the why behind that and reserving seats is pretty simple in the past. We wanted to make sure we had enough seats for those who would reserve. However, uh, God just prompted our staff and put on our hearts uh, to really ask the question, God, what would you want for this season uh, as we approach Easter? And so we began to pray as a staff. We took a week long in praying individually, but also many conversations both before and after, which led us to the point of God really pressing us into a new season of utilizing the, the uniqueness of our space to the best of our ability to invite anyone and everyone who would like to come attend Easter weekend to do so. And believe it or not, reserving seats is, is practical. It's easy but there's one negative side, and that's to the moments that you close to Easter, and you realize you are at the point of inviting a neighbor, and yet you realize that the, one of the services you're going to is completely full. And, and, the, and the invitation is like, oh, maybe next year. But we don't want that to be the case. We would love for this year to be the case for your neighbors and your friends. For this moment, as God is drawing them towards Himself, for this to be this moment for our neighbors and friends and family for Easter. And so we're actually going to utilize our space both in this room, but also our multi-purpose room right down the hall here. We're going to simulcast a, a space right in there with both worship and teaching. Um, with tables and chairs, some seating like this to maybe help families who just want to come and be as a family around some tables and chairs with littler kids, well, whatever. We're just asking that the Lord will bless it and that we could open that opportunity for as many to come here of His goodness on Easter weekend here in a few weeks. And so you'll see some more and hear some more information on that, but a few ways you can partner with what God's doing uh, through our church in Easter is one, invite your neighbors and your friends. Invite your family members who, who maybe don't attend with you weekly, but you know they need to hear the goodness and good news of Jesus, which sets us free. The second is this. You see three times on the screen in front of you, or if you're at home, hopefully on the screen in front of you there as well. Um, three times and three services we'll, we'll present at Easter, uh, all identical and with the same purpose of exalting Jesus and His goodness uh, and remembering His resurrection for our life. Uh, but also, would you consider going to one of those three, maybe one that you don't typically go to? to make continued space for those who would come uh, throughout. Maybe you would even consider with a family as large as yours or small as yours, or maybe it's just you to consider sitting in the multi-purpose room for a season to allow for a space for someone to experience in here. But let me squash uh, uh, something that's totally false, uh, that, that sometimes we can feel is that sometimes we can feel that we can only experience Christ on Easter in this room, and that's not the case. We can experience Christ in any space, as we turn our hearts and our ears to Him, uh, even the multi-purpose room, even in this room right here, right now, we can experience Him in any space. And so might you walk away, maybe challenge and saying, oh God, but remember the truth. Any space, we, we lean in and tune in, we can experience Christ in His goodness, no matter what it looks like. 
The beautiful part about that is our, our trip to Panama, what was so unique is that we are helping them build up a church, uh, a church building, right? But the church still exists with the little they have. They experience Christ anywhere and everywhere as we turn our hearts and turn our ears. So I just want to encourage you in that, as you may feel discouraged, like maybe in the moment in the Easter you come and this space is full and you're invited to sit in the multipurpose room, wherever it might be. I just wanted to encourage you in that. And so I'm going to pray for Easter and then pray for our service together here in a moment. And I'm excited for what the Lord's going to do this morning. So let me pray for that. Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, for Easter to come and and how excited we are anticipating uh, the celebration. We get to actually take part in daily, God, but also a momentous occasion in looking back at the life you lived, the death, burial, and resurrection, God, that you overcome the sin and grave for us. So may we remember the truth that sets us free in you. But also, God, may you set us on mission to invite friends around us to come and experience that same truth we have experienced. God, reminding us that no matter where we're at with you, as we turn our hearts, turn our ears, focus on you, God. You want to talk with us. You want to connect with us. You want to set us free continually, not only ourselves, but our neighbors and friends. So, God, would you do that? And we just ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to start my uh, message this morning talking about roller coasters, okay? Uh, who likes a good roller coaster in the room? Anybody? That's right, some hands thrown up. Yeah, you're my people. I love a good roller coaster too. Whether you've been on a roller coaster or not, something's very unique about them. And maybe you go home if you've never been on a roller coaster, it's okay. YouTube it. It's crazy, okay? There's ups and downs and twists and turns and moments of complete craziness that lead you on this thrill of adventure, Right? And then you repeat it and go on it multiple times because you just love it that much, whatever. But on the southeast side, I grew up on the southeast side of Indianapolis off this Interstate 74, which led you to this city called Cincinnati, Ohio, which is the home of the best amusement park in the world, Kings Island. My favorite. Anybody been to Kings Island before? Just me. All right. That's all right. You can go someday. You can go someday. It's okay. But anyways, Kings Island had this ride called the Beast, and the Beast was really uh, significant. It was like one of their oldest rides, just kind of what they were known, their claim to fame, kind of the Beast. Uh, I think it's so far closed now because it was built in the 70s, uh, and I think was still running even up to a few years ago, which is kind of scary to say the least, but whatever. It's fine. It was a wood roller coaster, uh, which was awesome. It, the reason I liked it, it had these, these waves, like it felt like just go up and down up and down a turn. It was wooden, so there's no flips or anything, thankfully. That would be kind of concerning for a wooden coaster because that would be super interesting. Uh, But typically, they don't have flips. This one didn't. And and I currently go to a chiropractor, and I I should probably ask my, my doctor just, you know, I feel like after a wooden roller coaster, you're pretty much adjusted, right? Like everything happened, you're like, oh, I think I can walk better now. Uh, Or maybe you're unadjusted. I can ask Dr. Jack that later. But either way, like truly, like you get whipped and turned and crossed and everything happens. You're you're wildest of emotions and potentially pain. And so I, I think roller coasters are so unique. But oftentimes when I think of a roller coaster, it makes me and it points me to reflect on the life of Jesus. Because if you look at his life and uh, throughout his walk on earth, his life was so similar to this roller coaster of emotions of those around him. And these waves that were beginning to uh, leave people unsettled, saying, he's, he's false, or no, he's true, and I'm going to follow, right? This roller coaster of emotions where he would heal people, and they would uh, proclaim God's goodness and say, he is God, how good is he? Yet in the next moment, they want to kill him. 
right? In these moments where Jesus would just interact because of who he is, God in the flesh, but people around him, there was this roller coaster of emotions and moments where he would be silent or stay put and wait, where people would say, go, and we're going to read a moment like that, where he would go and people would say, why? And he had all this stuff, right? It reminded me of this roller coaster of his life. And we know the end of the moment, right? We know the reason, or many of us do, and if you don't, we know the reason of Jesus' life. It's to die on the cross for us. Romans 5 reminds us of this, right? Romans 5, 6 through 8, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we know on this journey of emotion, and we love Jesus, let's kill him, what are, you know, all of this, the, 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 the multitude of these leads to a moment of Jesus on the cross for us. That's what we're going to celebrate in Easter, his resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection for us. What a great reminder that is for any of us today that we know, maybe now for the first time, some of you know the end to the roller coaster of emotional uh, moments around Jesus of a life faithfully lived in God, the Son of God, for our life. How beautiful is that? And so before we jump in, we're going to be in John 7. And if you want to get a Bible below you, you can grab one of those. We have them for you there on your phone. Or maybe you brought a Bible. I can't help you with the page number on the Bible you brought most likely. But the one under your chair, the page number is 866. So if you want to get that open and look up John 7 near the back end of your Bible in the New Testament. We're going to begin to jump into that passage, but before we do that, I think it's important that we contextually put our place uh, in kind of where Jesus was on his journey, this roller coaster of a ride, okay? So let's start here in John 6, and you don't need to turn there. Go to John 7, and I'll talk you through all the way up to that, all right? So, so John 6, we see in the beginning of John 6, Jesus provides, and he feeds the 5,000, right? We might know this story. He multiplies fish and bread and feeds 5,000 people. How incredible of this moment. Jesus provides, right? Next, Jesus walks on water in John 6, right after that. Uh, He walks on water showing uh, not only his power and authority, but his his goodness. He is a good God in the flesh, Jesus. He walks on water. And actually, this passage, when I was a teenager, I didn't know Christ. I actually went to youth group for the first time. I loved this girl, and I thought we're going to get married. It's not Noel, my wife, so it didn't work out, you know, but I still went. And the the youth pastor who I was close with after this moment read this passage and just asked the question, so who's walking on water? And I'm like, I've been to enough Easter and Christmas and, you know, a few Sunday schools. I didn't grow up uh, very churched at all, but I was like, it's got to be Jesus. We just read that, right? You know, I'm like, bingo. It was Jesus. And so I I have that passage, that that moment kind of like written on my heart because that's what led me to know Christ then afterwards, considering what Jesus did on the water, walking to then discovering the goodness of his life, living and dying for me so that I may know life. So it's, it's kind of beautiful. It leads me, um, it just led me to faith. I love it. So that's, that's John 6, 16. Okay, John 6, 16. Uh, John 9, or John 6, sorry, let's not jump ahead. John 6, 25 is this moment where Jesus declares he's the bread of life, that we can go to him for the source of our life, the very source like bread and water, so we may thirst and grow hungry, but yet God, through Jesus, wants to provide for us new life, wants to give us the things we need to adhere to a life being led through Him. John 6, later in John 6, we see 
Disciples choose not to follow Jesus. And I'll highlight in John 6, 65, he said this. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to the Father unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So then he turns and he says, you do not want to leave me too, to his 12 disciples. So we see this moment where this roller coaster of Jesus walking on water provides to the 5,000 through the faithfulness of disciples there too. He's continuing his life. Uh, he's the bread of life. Some disciples choose just not to follow him after some statements. We see all this on the wild ride of emotions, all leading us up to John 7. And in John 7, we're about to check out this festival that's about to be going on. We're going to read through together and walk through together. But let me encourage you before we get there, uh, we're going to see and notice some things about the walk in Jesus' life here in John 7 that maybe we haven't before. But let me just encourage you that oftentimes by the end of this, we see things Jesus walks through. And I like to call it, we like to kind of be in replacement therapy. And this isn't actually the passage at all for that or any of the passages that we would then say, oh, Jesus is living the life I'm exactly living right now. This must be about me. No, no, no. This is about Jesus. And so we're going to put our place in a way to learn from his life that we may be obedient to follow in the footsteps after him. But at no point should we read this and say, oh, I'm just so much like this is me in the scripture. It's about me. That's not the case. That's why I like to call it replacement therapy, because sometimes that makes us feel good but that's not the truth, okay? We get to focus on Jesus and his life, and then from there, mimic it in our own and be more like him in our own, but not say, oh, this is me in this passage. No, it's Jesus. So let's just be clear about that before we get any further, because we can stumble into that sometimes in that replacement therapy. We want to just, you know, you tracking with me? Got some of you like, yeah, I got some of you like, oh yeah. You know, I got some of you, you're there. I like it. I like it. Okay, let's continue. John 7, verse 1 says this, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Remember that moment? Like him before? Hate him now. You know, it's a roller coaster. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Let's pause there. We see this festival of the tabernacles, and what exactly is it? So this festival would be going on around this time that Jesus was walking and experience it. He would be invited to experience it. And what it is, this is a festival instituted by God in the Old Testament to help the Israelites remind themselves and all their generations of God's great deliverance from Egypt and their freedom in him. And literally, through this deliverance, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And so literally in this festival of tabernacles, or they would call it booths also, they would build these booths to live within during this time frame of the festival to remind themselves, put themselves back in a place of remembering what God did in providing through the wilderness to set them free, right? How God had made a way for them to be not under captivity any longer, and so they're in this moment of really remembering through this feast the fullness of God's provision. You know what's so unique about that is Jesus is about to interact with the same, fe the same feast, this festival, right? And yet Jesus will be the fulfillment of provision for us. Now you're starting to see some parallels, some interesting moments that God uses Jesus in the very scriptures we're reading. It's about him and how he, we're reminded is our fulfillment through his life. 
He's our provision. So it's, it's so unique. I see this perspective. Jesus is going up to a festival, so which he will be provision for the people, yet they just don't know it yet. They're remembering God's past provision and want to stay true to that. That's so good and honoring and, and faithful. Yet right before them is the provision for their life for ever and eternity and fullness of Christ. Philippians 4.19 reminds us of this. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. No matter what we face, God will provide our very needs through Christ. He will provide the need for our eternal dwelling and being with him. Not only with him in an eternity to come in heaven, but also the Holy Spirit within us which empowers us to live a life, being reminded by the scriptures and God's word, but also compelling us to be rid of sin and seek after him. See, Jesus is our fullness. Jesus is our, the fullness of him in us. And so it's so beautiful. So I didn't want to leave without noticing that parallel of the very person they will soon be recognizing as their provision again from God is Jesus in the flesh is God in the flesh. He will meet our every need. Finishing in verse 3, we see this. Jesus' brother said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret since you're doing these things. Show yourself to the world, right? For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time is not yet fully come. And after he'd said this, he stayed in Galilee. And so we see this moment between Jesus and his disciples, his brothers here. And where does this lead us to, right? They're like, go and show your power. Such a natural statement, right, for followers of Jesus. We may even say that today. God, show up. Show our world who you are. Show us in your fullness, God, the, the display of your glory and goodness. Right? So we're, we're speaking similar language. We're begging for God to continue to do his work on earth. And similarly here, uh, the disciples, his brothers are doing the same. But yet, there's one defining moment that shows the heart of maybe some of their desire and approach. In verse 5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Go, Jesus, show your work so they maybe, they will even believe in you. And maybe us too. God, would you show up so I can see your goodness so that I may believe? See, see, that was writings on their heart that they didn't need to say, but yet God, through Christ and his all omniscient present, like he knew, for not even they believed in him. How powerful sometimes we need to put ourselves in a place of continued belief and trust in Christ. Belief and trust in him. That we ask and beg him to show up in our friends' lives and situations and neighbors, but yet maybe we need to reconcile and recognize a disbelief we hold before God. That maybe it just needs to stretch to every part of our life, the belief and trust we have in him. So, for even his own brothers did not believe him. Who are you? Where are you, Lord? Send me, right? They're asking the great age-old question, where are you, Jesus? but more so in their hearts, show us who you are. So Jesus not only experienced rejection of people falling away from him and not following him anymore, 
but even the closest to him, struggling with disbelief. You got to admit, these guys had seen so much from Jesus up to this point, yet they still struggled to believe. Then Jesus says this profound statement, my time is not yet here for you, any time will do. And if you think of it, this begins to come to this complex moment of us recognizing that God's timing is not the same as our own. These brothers want uh, others to see Jesus' power as long for themselves too. They need to see it. They, need, they obviously want to have some belief, but yet are lacking it. And yet Jesus responds this moment. It's like a head-snapping moment. Have you ever had that? So, someone tells you something and you're just like, what? Go, Jesus, show your power. My time has not yet come. Huh? Certainly the time's now. Just go. Like, like the time's got to be now. The time's good for me. Should be good for you, Right? And now we're interacting and seeing that God's timing is different than ours, that Jesus has a different timetable than his disciples. And we think we almost say that in our own lives today. Any time now, Lord, you could do something. Any time now, Lord, you could provide that, that step for me. Any time now, Lord, for my family's situation. Any time now, Lord, right? But yet now we get to step back and understand maybe why he has a different timetable than ours. And really it begins with perspective. And you think of God, and I, I said that word om, omniscient, and I want to define it for you, essentially means all-knowing. He, he's he's all-knowing. He knows everything. And so his perspective then grows further than ours, because we do not know everything. Please admit that, right? We need to admit that sometimes. I do not know everything. You know, I'm raising little kids right now. I do not know everything, all right? I didn't know how to change a diaper thing until like the first one was brought home. You know, like it was, it was different. I do not know everything, right? To my kids, to my, to, I do not know everything in my life. Like what to, I, I need God to help me who sees everything to help me know and equip me. Anytime now, Lord, he's omniscient, knows all things. And if you think, if you're a coach, parent, or teenager in the room, you really tangibly can see this. Because if you're the coach in the room, you know, you hold practices for a reason. Your perspective is different. Your players come in, if you're like me, I was a wrestler. My coach used to have me run like four miles a day. I hated that. Why? His perspective's different. And I, I know I look like a runner, okay? I can do that. Right? I mean, like, truly, like, yeah. Like, I'm like, I literally said that, coach, do I look like I can run like four miles? Do I look like I'm a track star? He's like, I'm going to make you one. I'm like, no, you're not. No, I don't want that. But you know, his perspective was greater. And you know what would happen is I would get to a match and in the third period would realize my endurance is greater than my opponent. Why? Because my coach saw my perspective. His perspective was greater knowing that the practice today would pay off for the match tomorrow. He got me. After that, I'm like, all right, four miles, four miles. We can do four miles. No more than that. So the next day, five miles. I'm like, ah, stop! I get your perspective, but no more is needed, okay? No more of your perspective, right? If you're a parent in the room, the way you discipline and raise up and train your child in hopes and training them in the way they should go so they may not depart from the way of Jesus and you too, you know that the discipline today, the moments today, will lead to newness in life and hopes and prayer tomorrow that it would be different, that your perspective as a parent is different. And even when your, your child is, is oh, why, why is this, why is it like this? Why, why do I have to do that? Do I really have to go to church with you today? Is it really that important? Uh, parents, our, our perspective is different. 
Sorry, I called out some teenagers in the room. I love you too, okay? But teenagers to you too. I know you might hate school, but ever so year by year, maybe your perspective grows different to understand that the training and the learning you do today is building a life for you to be engaged and knowledgeable tomorrow. That schooling, whatever it is, homeschool, public school, whatever, is such a gift. Knowledge is truly power. Like we can use it day in and day out in such beautiful ways. Listen, I hate math class. I always did. But fifth grade math, which is probably the last time I listened. Sorry, I said it out loud. But, but, but fifth grade math, it helps the way I count. It builds upon itself for the goodness of the life I get to live today. That's why education is so important, but also our education and understanding and knowing God is as well. It's part of that choice you as teenagers have to make, that your faith is your own. Would you choose to spend time in growing it, in knowledge, reading God's Word, spending time on Sunday morning with your parents or grandparents or just yourself, and being in a place of growth in truth? We know this perspective change, but oftentimes it's so hard for us to understand that God's perspective could be any different than ours. His perspective is eternal, is to be all-knowing. Ours is so limited, is to be all-wondering and pleading, of course. God, would your time match with mine? But yet, when it doesn't, man, that's hard to understand. And so the disciples here have this head-snapping, your timing's not mine, but God says, anytime you can go, for you, any time would do, probably for him even to go, right? They were pleading with him to go. In verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival, I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come, right? Jesus puts another stamp on it. My time's not yet fully here. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee, and Jesus stays yet for another moment. Verse 10, we continue. The moment's not too long. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he also... He went also, not publicly, but in secret. And part of that might be the timing of when God, when, when Jesus needed to become public about his ministry, right? In this specific moment about this feast. So he goes in secret, differently than the disciples had wanted. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there were widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. The, grow, the, the, the voices grow louder. Who really is Jesus? And if he really is who he says, where is he? And what's he going to do about anything? And yet, funny enough, as I was praying and walking through this passage before you today, um, I saw these statements that I believe are echoed even today. These statements of, he's a good man, some are saying. But yeah, you know how they're saying it, right? Yeah, Jesus is a good guy, but maybe not for me. He was a good guy. That's good enough. No, he deceives the people. You might hear similarly too. No, Jesus in his life is completely false. He was a great deceiver. So not true. So not true. They're lost in their ways. And my friends, this is a place we can also fall into. Similarly, if we don't focus and seek after him, if we don't put him at the forefront, he's more than a good guy. He's our Lord and Savior. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Upon him is, is the church who leads, is led by him. Upon him is our life and our commitment and relationship with God. 
He is more than just a good guy. He is not a deceiver. The words he carries are truthful and good, are not false. And if we commit, and many of you have experienced this, our lives to understanding and equipping and walking within them, we've experienced this new life. Jesus is different. He's not just some guy. They were confused. That's our flesh. That's our disconnection from God at birth. And we're confused with how this relationship will work out. And so then, must if we disbelieve, he's just a good guy, or maybe he's false, we may fall into the patterns of the world around us, but may we commit to the truth and understanding truly who Jesus was. To be our Lord, our great shepherd, our commander, our guide, our loving father, our everything. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, so much more than just being good. Verse 14, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? And Jesus answered in verse 16, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. And so halfway through this festival, Jesus shows up. Uh, Where is he? Well, he's here. Uh, uh, What's he going to say? Well, he's said it, right? And what is their response to what he is saying? They are amazed, right? That always like stumbles me a bit. Like these are the guys certainly who, who were, he's just a man or he's just a, he's a deceiver or whatever, but he's teaching and they were amazed. So then they asked the question, where did you receive this? And what did Jesus say? He says it many times throughout scripture, even in John 14 says, actually I'm like literally in verse 16, my teaching's not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. It comes from God because God sent me on this mission to live this life perfect and blameless so that I may die for your sin. Remember in Romans 5. So I may, even when you disbelieve, even when you struggle with doubt, so that I may die, so you may live and know. Like, like what? Jesus is the incarnate Word of God. How beautiful it would be in John 1.14, earlier in this book, says, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came to the Father full of what? Grace and truth. That now we get to see through the incarnate Word of God, Jesus, His Word differently. Now we get to see this book breathed to existence for us to read. In these moments, Jesus explicitly speaks to be the fullness of full grace and truth, word from God. So now we view this so differently. Now this is truly a holy book because it's delivered from God to me and you. Surely not at this point it then becomes that, but this is the reminder of the fullness of God's word and truth. Jesus is the word embodied before us in Christ. That is why his words are so good, full of grace and truth. You just experienced a part of the roller coaster of Jesus' life. Moments of questions and doubts and disbelief. Probably fear, like we didn't read that, but like you could imagine like this... This is the Son of God. What's he going to say? Or like you can imagine all of the roller coaster around him, yet he leads this peace filled, God sent life, spreading the good news in which he so received had been sent by 
coming from God Himself, being the full incarnate Word of God. You might be asking some similar questions, though. For your life, for your where, like, God, where are you? God, what are you up to? Where can I see you at work in my own life? And I think back to that passage in John 7, 5, these moments where his brothers didn't even believe in him and thought, God, how may we learn from the way of your life to continue in the way of our life and following after you and learning from your situation and learning from what you did, God, how can we grow? And a few things, a question I had was similar to that. What if we've given our lives to Jesus and yet some people in our family, our earthly family, haven't at all? What if we've given our lives to Christ, but yet there's people in our family who are far from Him, even so much so, that proclaim similar things. He's a good man or He's completely false. There's a few things I want to walk you through before our time's up. Uh, The first is this. You might be asking that question, where are you? The first is this. Recognize the family you've been adopted into. In Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, it says, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us and the one he loves. We have been adopted into a new life with Christ that actually inherits not only his kingdom and the future with him of eternity, but also family members like me and you, brothers and sisters in him, that through that we're enabled to love and care and recognize each other differently. That's the beautiful part about Panama and the trip to Panama. When I got to go, will you show up understanding that they've proclaimed faith, and Pastor Ulysses, to get them to talk with him, and like, we're a part of the same faith family. We've been adopted into the same inheritance through Christ. How beautiful it is that we get to love and encourage one another in our walk with him and chasing after him. Recognize the family you've been adopted into, but beyond that, your heavenly family, your earthly one is so important and so good. So number two is pray for perspective where God wants to use you. Maybe you're in this situation, God, where are you at with my family? Where are you at with reaching them like you've reached me? Or me coming to you, how, how, how may they, Lord, pray for a perspective that even though your earthly family may not know, where would you be used to reach them? And maybe that comes from some help and prayer and love and encouragement from your heavenly family, from your brothers and sisters in Christ, to help you and navigate you towards reaching your earthly one. But both important the same, where are you Willing to grow in perspective to know when to step in and share truth with the family members around you. When you've done all you can, you've reached, you've prayed, you've been to this point where you feel so discouraged, I wanted to leave you with this, uh, that Jesus doesn't often promise the fruits of our labor, but He does and will give us peace for the process. As you navigate following Christ and and seeking after him. And you maybe face these roadblocks of family situations. And even as I sit with a student years ago that uh, he had given his life to Jesus and his parents were far from Christ and he was wrestling, God, why did you give me that, this family? I prayed the same prayer of saying, God, would you help us with a perspective on how my friend can reach his family to know you? It becomes so much different. Loves his parents, absolutely, but wishes them the same eternity as he inherited through Christ. Our perspective becomes different as we put ourselves in place of praying and asking for it. And maybe their time has not yet come or God's work is still not done, but yet He doesn't promise us the fruits, but yet will give us the peace we need. In John 14 later, like I mentioned, verse 27, peace I leave with you. This is Jesus' words here. 
Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world does. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Maybe wherever you're at in your life, you're asking Jesus, where are you? What are you really up to? May you walk with peace, not only in family situations, not only in, in, in moments with family members who are far from Christ, but even in your own walk of asking and seeking after God for a situation or a moment or your own disbelief. Where are you leaning in? And would you lean in and continue to ask for God's peace and gain patience? Lean in and trust that He's working. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing, but He's also omnipresent, which is He is presently with us always. Jesus, remind us of that truth today as we've been given the way of your walk and reminder. So let me pray for us, and I'm going to invite the band to come on up. We're going to close in song. Um, What a journey we get to be on, right? What a journey of just learning the way of Jesus and seeing his life unfold in Scripture, but also before our very own as we follow him. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, God. Thank you for your word. I ask that, God, you would help us grow to to know you through your word, but also be instructed, as your word says, be guided, um, be convicted. God, I just pray that the fullness of your word would just fully indwell in us as we seek after you. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, however you've been working in this room with situations and moments and people, uh, even myself, God, as I want to come humbly before you in service, I ask, Lord, that you would give us the boldness and strength to endure, that, God, maybe we need different perspective in this season to trust you. And even when you don't give the perspective, you don't promise the fruits, God, I pray that we would trust you and, and take on your patience, which you offer and your peace, to take on your, your love. And God, give us more wisdom and guidance to walk. God, we love you, we trust you, and thank you in Jesus' name.